hands together, Rich. Are they going to be a jingle ball tonight, Brandon? Uh, I think Daft Punk broke up, Rich. Sorry. Oh, shit. <laughs> I think I get a little that, knocked. That happened day. earlier in the year. We probably should have used Daft Punk music for that. I've got little, I think I got little knots and Ed Sheeran tonight. Not bad. Oh, and uh, Dixie D'Amelio, too. Is part of it going to be in Roblox? <laughs> I don't know. Welcome, everybody, to episode 84 of the Light Shed Podcast. A very annoyed Rich Greenfield and Walter Pisick, along with the annoyer himself, Brandon Ross. Happy Friday, I guess. Definitely happy Friday. This has been a grueling week. I, I am very, very happy. For every week is every week is grueling these days. Walt just looks very annoyed. Are you okay, Walt? Muy bueno. Muy bueno. <laughs> You know what that reminds me? We didn't use the donkey this week. We're... What do you mean? We, 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 we used donkey music a few weeks in a row, and we didn't use it this week. Well, maybe okay. we could save it for the outro. So I assume I will not see you at Jingle Ball tonight, Brandon. I mean, I would totally go if you, got, if you have a ticket for me. I have to say, several people emailed me asking if I could help get them tickets for Jingle Ball, and I wasn't having it at all i was like i have enough things that i need to get tickets for that i get myself hooked up for in the next couple of weeks i'm not helping like random joe or no it wasn't joe alone but that's not holiday spirit that's really not holiday spirit you're supposed to pay it forward i am yeah but I would totally go, Rich, if you have a ticket for me for tonight. I do not. But uh, I'm thinking. Know. I'm think. Oh no, LCD isn't playing tonight. I have nothing to do tonight. Are you sure? I think you'll figure it out. Maybe you know what you could do. What? You could go to the movies. <laughs> no, I know what <laughs> I need to do. I think I need to write the thank you notes for my wedding. <laughs> Isn't that like two months or two and a half months ago at this point? I know. Never mind. Basically, Jess did all of hers in like the second week. And every single day, she's like, why haven't you written your thank you notes yet? Good luck. Yeah, with I definitely that. haven't gotten one. Good luck you. with that. <laughs> all right. Can we move on to the first line? Yeah, this we totally can. Hold on. Sorry. So first slide. We but Well, the first boring. slide is what we learned today is that a company that never should have gone public this week decided to go public really the first pure play digital media company. Like when you think of the early players, digital publishers, digital media, yeah. Di- digital publishers, Buzzfeed went public, a SPAC $10 price. And the stock was down 11% on day one, but looking at it right now, Buzzfeed is trading $5 it's a, it's and down 78 about 40%. So over. I mean, what's the issue rich in your mind with digital publishers, because this is not the only one. There are several bag holders right now of these um, digital publishing assets. I, there's There was basically a little bit of a roll-up that happened around Vice. Um, obviously, Bustle is sitting out there with a number of properties that they've rolled up. Do you think yeah. that these companies can go public? Is there a good enough business model for digital publishers? It seems to me that, that any of the ad-based publishers don't really have a pretty good uh, have a good business model because they're both mostly reliant on the platforms um the one that did was barstool because they have very deep uh fan engagement that they were able to move onto other places uh to make money they have one word brandon meaning barstool passion no passion Passion. oh yeah yeah. for barstool but if you think about buzzfeed i was talking to a reporter earlier in the week and i said when I think of BuzzFeed, what do you say? And the reporter responded, I think of listicles 10 years yeah. ago. And then I said, if I asked a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old today, what would they say about BuzzFeed? And the response was probably nothing. And I said, well, they, exactly. uh, they wouldn't know what BuzzFeed That's is. The pro- right. That's the problem. There is no brand equity. BuzzFeed doesn't mean anything. I don't think Vice means anything really anymore to a consumer. Refinery Which is interesting because of all of those besides Barstool, the one that had 
the most kind of meaning attached to it was vice, but they kind of spread themselves too thin in trying to do everything for everybody. I mean, does the Dodo mean anything to you? Like, I mean, just there's all of these sites that were built, you know, yes, over the, the last Dodo does seven... mean something to me. <laughs> Not the website though, or the media company. I mean, the problem <laughs> is, if, you know, if you go to the BuzzFeed website or the BuzzFeed app, like it looks honestly it looks like the Yahoo homepage from years ago. Like it's just no, I, it's junk. Not, it, it, it never became a destination. No, right? that, that just doesn't mean anything. And so, and yeah, you they're really want to slap in. them. You can call it MySpace. But what, what did happen to Vice, though? Because Vice, I think, to Brandon's point, was very strong. So how, what exactly kind of impacted that? Well, it's interesting. Was it that strong? Because I remember going to their new front presentations and you would, there was like this sort of like, how do I put this Um, mystique around vice? And then they would go and give their like, you know, monthly active users. And you'd be like, what? That's it. Because it was shitty numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there was, they built a great advertiser brand. Like advertisers wanted to be associated with Vice because they had some very high profile things they did. Like when Shane was riding through Afghanistan, like they did the Charlottesville, like they did some great no, content. You want, they had some great content, but do you want to know what it really was, Rich? No media companies. And, and I think this is why a lot of traditional media companies invested in these publishers. No media companies understood what, quote, Forget Gen Zs, what millennials were at the time. Right. And, and this it, was their checkbox. There was, there was a giant mystique around the yeah. fact that Vice and some of the others, Refinery29, whatever, were able to theoretically connect with that audience. And they were trying to figure out how to reach that audience. But I thought it was, a, it was well-produced, edgy content. It was good content. The, the that, HBO that was, stuff was good. There was, was a lot the, of crap on the internet, though. Anyway, so I was saying that that was their brand. So to to the extent you're talking about, like, what does the brand stand for? Like, it, I think it does stand for that, regardless of what age you are. So does it not stand for that anymore? Are you saying, or was it diluted into other things? I mean, what was the last time you really heard anyone talking about Vice or Vice content? So do they just that's... stop investing in the content, stop sending people to dangerous locations? Like, why is that? I don't know. I mean, it's also like there's obviously... There's so much news and information on all of these platforms. But there was now. always a lot of news and information. That's not a that's not a yeah, phenomenon. I don't know. It's, it's actually a really years. good question. It's actually a really good question. I don't know. Well, the one thing that also happened, I mean, Shane's obviously not there as involved go. as he used to be. So you know, founder, you know, founder sort of on the outside now versus day to day. In terms of monetization, the and like broad audience size, the uh, both the emperor kind of had no clothes. Then the, you had the issues internally in the company with um, some harassment stuff, some allegations, yeah. allegations, whatever it was. And Shane had to leave. And then you you lost sort of the you know, Eddie too. I mean, you lost a bunch of the senior yeah. leadership turned over. So it's a different company. They bought Refinery29, which didn't have a brand. I mean, did a lot of things that probably in hindsight weren't great to try to stay alive. Yeah. Well, best of luck to BuzzFeed, you know, so we'll yeah. see how that goes. But by the way, Michael Del Nin, um, an old friend of mine, is actually president of the company now. So is that like a humble brag type thing? Like what, what, no. what was the relevance no. of dropping that one in? Um, I don't know. That was a humble <laughs> so, brag. Okay, next slide. It wasn't a humble brag. Oh, it kind because of a humble brag. Why, why, is someone, why is someone bragging about... Um, because it's the, about the president knowing the that so what we know the president not the oh, humble brag of, of way 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 bigger companies but oh, yeah true. i i do feel a little bit bad um, okay let's talk about something that is always really facts though brandon always facts regardless of what the personal relationship is all right next sarah fisher's got a tweet breaking news wrote this was from yesterday roku google finally settled messy battle with multi-year distribution agreement for youtube and youtube tv remember Last year, earlier this year, the YouTube TV app disappeared from new Roku devices and they actually embedded it inside of the YouTube app. And then this week was the expiration of the YouTube deal. So theoretically, all new Roku devices would not have had YouTube, despite it representing 20 plus percent of time spent on Roku devices. They were fighting supposedly not really over economics. They were fighting over, you know, tech specs and codecs and video compression and all of that. Bottom line, if you you know you look at it all, 
this really feels like, I mean, first of all, there was no way Roku could lose YouTube. Like it was just way, way too important. Two apps, Netflix and YouTube represent basically 50% of time spent on connected TV devices. So there was really no leverage for Roku here. Google would survive. YouTube would survive. Roku would have been in deep trouble. So they, the companies came to an agreement. I think the key things for investors who are listening to this or watching to think about are two things. One, YouTube is still, in our belief, not paying any advertising revenue share to Roku. So no change on that from what has been the historical past. YouTube does not share ad revenue with partners, whether it's Roku or others. So that's, you know, I think a major win for YouTube and shows their importance in the ecosystem. And then two, it sounds like the kind of the technology to enable better video compression and better picture quality on connected TVs feels like Google got what they wanted, even if it's a bit more expensive for Roku technologically to put into their devices, feels like this was a kind of an, a, a solid win for Google. And then just to play on that, you know, we were talking a lot on the podcast a few weeks ago about Comcast and Google. Remember, they were going to lose, they were on YouTube TV, they were going to lose all the NBC channels. Yep. This was, I think, late summer. And they won, or sorry, the, the two sides ended up agreeing. We didn't really know what the ultimate agreement was. But a few weeks ago on the podcast, we talked about how there was a YouTube TV app launched on the new X-Class TVs. Now, this week, we learned that the Comcast Flex, and there's a couple million Comcast Flex devices out there. It's basically their streaming box for subs that don't want traditional video service. It's always had, I think it's always had Sling as an option. Now it's actually got YouTube TV as an option. So it just feels like in these complicated agreements, Google and YouTube are getting more and more little wins. So, you know, it, it's not like Comcast does that is... really surprise you, though, Rich? I mean, no, if, you, but if you think about like the distribution of eyeballs and time spent on connected devices in video, there's two absolute behemoths and then there's yeah. everyone else. And those two behemoths are Netflix and YouTube. No, I know it's just and and no device can really connected video device can survive without either of those but that's it but the, but the irony of all of this is we keep wondering when do the cable companies or the broadband providers also do package video and does comcast raise their hand or charter raise their hand and say why are we in the video business it's a shitty business let's just resell and package if you want to buy youtube tv you want to buy hulu live like just Get out of this yeah. business that I, is a I, shitty you've business. You've seen Rich, you've seen that for those MVPDs or broadband providers that you know don't have the scale to fight back against content. Comcast does have a lot of scale and sure. are still generating, I don't know, margin dollars off of video. So that's why they've, maybe, they've kind of 10, 20%. Like I mean, it, it's dollars, right? Yeah. And by the way, the rest of their business is under pressure. The broadband business. Right. 20% is greater than zero. Under, exactly. So for Comcast, it makes sense to continue to do that. Now, um, on the flex side, you have people who aren't taking any video whatsoever. So to the extent that they right. can Doesn't make matter. that video, that broadband stickier. subscriber stickier or, you know, add you know, like some sort of vig for selling on their platform makes sense. Why does that customer want to use a Comcast Flexbox? I don't understand that. I honestly don't understand They're broadband customers. So it's, you know, it's right. And they're clearly a more advanced customer if they're doing a streaming box. So like why? And they're buying a, they're buying an antiquated streaming box versus going out and buying. Right. Yeah. Like you could just buy a Chromecast and it's a better device. I mean, it's just an uneducated or, or just use your connected TV. And we've talked about this. Most TVs, almost every television that is bought new now and over the last few years, and by the way, there's seven year replacement cycles on TVs is a connected TV of some sort. So I don't really fully understand, you know, how I mean, you said it's it's not an educated consumer, but I would argue that the the truly uneducated consumer is the one that's using the cable box that's still getting it like but as that, a that service. Hundred percent true. So this so this person is likely more educated about technology because they have the streaming box in the first place. So how do they like kind of have Z there that they stick with Comcast? I don't understand 
My guess is it's a lot of customers who have a set-top box in their living room, and then in adjacent rooms, they only have a streaming box. You know, We don't obviously know the answer to that. They don't report it that way. They talk about flex boxes deployed, but you don't know how many of the primary- but Is that what a flex? Because I mean, I have yeah, one it'll, main box with DirecTV, and it basically streams the managed service content from DirecTV to my other- boxes right so uh, but that's not the same as what that's you're not describing. the same as this no this is actually having Correct. like a di- instead direct of direct stream a yeah yep. front, right rather than going through the main box I, I don't know with a chromecast at 35 dollars one time why people are you know you get if you're how many comcast, people do we do we think this is i think it's a couple million i remember i remember when they broke crazy. a million probably maybe it's maybe it's two and a half i mean i don't know it's it's, it's crazy you know. well you're right brand i think it's probably they were just losing those customers because those customers are like well, this is stupid and then so maybe this is a way to slow the loss, the reduction of those customers, just slap, slap Google TV in there, YouTube TV, whatever it's called. I think Speaking Frontier also- Okay, okay. I guess we're moving on. No, no, no we don't have to. I was going to say, I think I think this week or maybe last week, you know, you had a telco that was also kind of hopping on the bandwagon, not surprisingly yep. subsidizing a year or at least lowering the price, I think, um, for YouTube TV. Verizon, I think, is doing the same. I think, you I, know, think it, said, I believe it was Frontier, Well. You're probably right. And I think on top of that, just as a reminder, I've said on this podcast many times, like, you know, Verizon, we've asked Verizon about this. Um, they're not putting a nickel into those Fios boxes. So if you're a Fios customer, like, what are you doing? Like, I'm sure your service is getting worse and worse, but Fios keeps it around because there are a certain number of customers that like that kind of, you know, it's the familiarity, horrible, the film familiar. I mean, look, but I, I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast, but you know, my mom is, has moved fully to like connected TV, but she also has kind of Comcast on the side. And it's, it's, I think it's confusing for people to try and go from app to app and the reauthentication is still a nightmare. And so it's still having multiple remotes in and out. is still, I think a challenge to people. So, and so I will say the Comcast voice is, control is to- actually very good. So that's part of it too. Like it is a very good voice device. It's, I mean, for, well, you know. it's funny, Rich, you say that because she's got both. She's got the Comcast voice control as well as the YouTube TV. I forget which brand of TV it is. And the audio and the amalgamation of content on um, not YouTube TV, but I'm sorry, Android TV. The amount the audio on that is phenomenal in terms of like she can say whatever crazy it's Google collection TV, of yeah. words that my mom will come up with. And it's just, she still gets to the program. The problem is it sends her into a subscription collection we, of words collection of words it's like i want that one yeah, the, with the exactly. handsome actor Correct. from that you know movie in the 80s right right and, and then like tom cruise will pop was i pressing the mic button um but i was with her trying to, to train her the google they, they, they've done a good job with that i think that remote um so I don't think I don't think this I know there's a love affair with Comcast and their voice, but dude, get over it. It's fucking voice recognition. It's not that great relative technologies that are in the marketplace. So enough with the Comcast Xfinity being so easy. Enough with that. Thank you. All right. Um, Let's dump on Comcast you, as why much don't as you possible. Read these? Oh, while why we're don't dumping on while we're dumping yes. on Comcast, our friends Thank at Comcast. You. That was a great segue. Um today there was a, a slew of are Comcast. we gonna get an email from Comcast? No, just stop. Okay, go on. Um so um, there was a slew of investor conferences this week. And once again, Comcast uh, gave an investors an update about their broadband subscriber forecast, um, which obviously was not that great. The head of Comcast, quote from Barron's online, the head of Comcast cable unit said the company will end the year with 1.3 million additional broadband users, implying less growth than expected this quarter. If you all remember, you know, a couple of quarters ago, this was the pull forward of COVID. I mean, how many pull forward quarters are we going to have, Rich, of COVID? Yeah, this, but but I think this is bigger than this because this is the third reduction yeah, in three I months. Yep. I think this, this started in September. So they've lowered numbers three times in like eight weeks. It's sort of unprecedented for Comcast to have this bad. Of, now, look, as Reed Hastings has said on Netflix, and we've heard this from many companies, the COVID modeling has blown up everybody's models, mm-hmm. but it's just interesting how in such a short period of time the level of miss i mean it's it's three months go ahead walter well maybe it's not speaking speaking of using like the el nino excuse or the COVID excuse quarter after quarter y2k so we did in a prior podcast talk about how wireless um home broadband net additions the increase this year versus 2019 happened to 
to match with the the decrease in what Comcast and Charter, and I think maybe we tossed Altice in there, maybe not, doesn't matter. And everyone's like, oh, no, 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 they're not getting from cable customers. So once again, T-Mobile comes out and talks about the fact that um, wireless broadband is continuing to be strong this quarter. And the CEO, um, Mike Sievert, specifically says like, look, yeah, there are some new customers there, but we're taking cable customers. So look, we could, uh, we could like say he's a liar or whatever it is, but like, you know, take him at its face value. Like wireless is having an impact yep. on home broadband and it's only 2021. Right. It's just starting. It's early. It's, it's not destroying the business. It's just taking some growth. This is before, as a reminder, sorry to be redundant and repeat for people that listen to this podcast on a weekly basis. This is before Verizon launches their home broadband service with C-Band, which was delayed. It was supposed to happen this month, which was delayed because of the nonsense with the FAA. So when Verizon does that, it's going to help T-Mobile, right? It's just elevating knowledge about wireless as an option for cable customers that have been frustrated with being treated like garbage for years and with also price think, increases and waiting for the cable guy for eight hours and everything else when a wireless I, guy will just send a fucking box to your house and you can self-provision but walt i also think this plays into the next slide which is why is cable trying to shift the narrative over to wireless right because as the fixed broadband becomes less exciting now they're trying to move into wireless broadband so you want okay. to read this well this is this is like it's almost like psych 101 like if you're going to come after me i'm going to come after you so this is from jeff Baumgartner. um it says mobile is he's again citing from these investor conferences that um you like how i said Baumgartner. Baumgartner. Um, so this is just citing you know the basically the comments of ceos at, at these conferences this is from rutledge mobile is Charter's biggest single opportunity in 2022, CEO Tom Rutledge says, new, more scalable billing systems, <laughs> new, more scalable billing systems set the stage for accelerated growth. So this is what Charter needed to really unleash on wireless, a better billing system. Got it, Tom. So here, so let's remember <laughs> that in January or so, I think, um, or maybe December of last year, someone from Comcast, I forget who it was, said the same thing. Remember, they were going to unleash on wireless this year and like didn't really happen that much. I mean, the guy that grew gross ads, share of gross ads was AT&T. And it's, by the way, it's coming at a time when there's an industry expectation that this 9 million of postpaid phone net ads that are occurring this year is going to fall next year. And like the consensus view is like, oh, T-Mobile is going to be fine. You know, Verizon is going to be fine. You know, Comcast and Charter may kind of eke up a little bit, but, you know, all of a sudden AT&T is just going to hit the wall and, and net ads are going to fall off a cliff. And that's how people get to their industry number estimate of 9 million dropping to 7 million. Not really logical, but that's the kind of the consensus view. Um, so we'll see how this plays out. So what's our view? Look, we'll see what Charter comes with. I mean, maybe they can be, they're already pretty price aggressive with the pay as you go thing, but like, I can't imagine that. He, they're going to figure out a way to dramatically change their share of gross ads. And same thing between AT&T and, and T-Mobile. Like, what is T-Mobile going to do different in 22 than, than they did in 21? That they, they all they can sudden, all of a sudden can dramatically shift the share of gross ads away from AT&T and back to themselves. Well, or what could they do to shift some of the share away from cable, right? I mean, cable is certainly taking share. What could these operate? What could the core operators do to take share back from cable? But the, but cable, when you the opposite again, issue of, let, of home let, broadband, because yeah, everything's well, converging essentially. But cable's not taking enough for them to care. They can still muster up their two to three percent, maybe four percent top line service revenue growth, and cable can do the thing now. If, if Rutledge is going to double his net ads next year, then maybe there has to be a response. But up to this point, wireless has done nothing to respond to cable because they're fine yielding that amount of share to the to the to those cable customers. We'll see if that changes in 2022. It may have to if the industry growth contracts, if there's just less people to draw upon in terms right. of driving growth. And then in they'll have to get more aggressive with their competition. Sure. Yeah. But so then the question is if you're Verizon, like why the fuck would you be more aggressive? and risk re-rating the 100 million customers that you have when your main goal is to get those 100 million customers to pay you more for video services, 5G, home, whatever the hell it is to get to your 2 to 3% bogey that you need to deliver, 2 to 3% revenue growth bogey that you need to deliver to investors. I just don't think 
there's not clear to me what cable can do that's going to be dramatically different that's going to that's going to impact the market and i've been hearing this fucking story about how cable's going to disrupt the wireless marketplace for four years now remember when like cable was going to destroy the wireless marketplace drive t-mobile stock down and then buy t-mobile and that was the game plan how the fuck did that work out didn't it didn't can you tell that walter is fired i love it dude i love it can we go to discord brandon let's go uh, a little uh, you know what yeah, I have a I have a question. It's well, it's oh, more boy. communications than video game. Walt, since you're fired up, can you just fucking read it for us? Yes. Go ahead. In my in my Brandon introductory voice, no. I'm Tom Warren. No, Discord. I, I I need to keep Walt like in this like level of fire, keep engagement, keep going. <laughs> I don't know who Tom Warren is, but he's got a blue check. Do you know who this guy is? <laughs> Discord. Mean, we have blue checks, so. <laughs> doesn't mean much it doesn't take much that's true <laughs> discord is creating new premium memberships that let creators and communities monetize discord servers communities will be able to create subscriber only channels or servers with a variety of perks and membership tier tiers okay so basically what this is is there were people who were subscribing um to memberships on patreon and part of those patreon memberships included access to private discord servers basically discord just took this back in-house so they're actually getting paid for those subscriptions and it makes it easier for creators not to have their community jumping around if they're kind of audio native um something in my view that should have happened a while ago um, but it's also showing more creative ways happened. to monetize yeah uh, it's not just... even that creative though it's just True. low-hanging fruit there there's a bunch of low-hanging fruit for discord the next um thing is i think sort of purpose-driven tools for various types of communities so i mean in the private world in our venture world we've seen different sort of discord how do i put this not competitors, no, oh. not competitors, um, but Discord-like services popping up that are more purpose-driven for sports betting, for other things. I think that you'll see those tools built out on Discord um, to better service communities and creators. Um, they are the 800-pound gorilla um, in this world, and um, they just, you know need to work on so, product so Brandon, monetization. It, so all ever that all that's true. So maybe this is a realization. Maybe there's some new person internally there that's so what would be next from here? Like what even if it's not even can has nothing to do with subscriptions, like given the power that Discord has, I mean I see with my kids, they're just you know on it all the time. Like what else what's next I think for Discord? I, well I think another thing that needs to happen with Discord is I mean we all you know, know how to use Discord well, there's still a little bit of a mystique around it and mm -hmm. a user-friendliness aspect that I think um, needs needs to improve to get my mother um, to find utility. So if, if they did that, on, on Discord. right? If they did that, would that take away from, you know, the appeal to the Well, it's interesting. It so it's interesting with Discord because, you know, Discord was built to service gamers in the first place and they've become you know broader and broader appeal from there and then the, there was the question yeah. as they you know started doing it especially in the pandemic would this take away from the utility for games because it wasn't it was becoming less purpose driven and i think the answer is no you just need to have different um products that service um, different communities more tightly. And that, I guess that goes back to kind of what I said at the beginning. I just wonder, and Rich, I don't, you know, I'm very ignorant of Snapchat. It's not, it's, it's something I tried a couple of times and I could never figure out like I, how broad is the Snapchat audience? Is it, does discord become like Snapchat or like Instagram where every boomer's on Instagram? I mean, Snapchat is tremendous i mean you know well it is in in demo right? I, it, it's not the interesting it's not thing about size Snap relative to Facebook, is, is it is it never really you know completely aged up right rich i mean it, yeah, there's still, a lot I mean, of analogs three, they still we, have 300 million worldwide daus i mean it's no, a, no 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 you can be a very very big business super sure. serving 
uh, a demo, but there's a huge difference between 300 million and, and the two and a half billion. Yeah, th- yeah billion, I was going right. to say close right, to so, three so billion was, right. that Facebook serves. Right, hundred percent. So, but Brandon, this is the there, Roblox thing. But isn't then the point that if you're um, Discord, that why not just take, do be Snap? Meaning, like, just there's a go after that very big market in demo and not worry about your mom. I mean, you you can do that, but it's how big of a company do you want to be? Facebook is a way far well, bigger what's, company. What's Snap's market than, cap? Then Snap, I don't know. It, it, now it's down to like in the sixties, I think. Right? <laughs> Sixty billion is a pretty good. Eighty number. billion? I don't know. I, sorry, it was up to a close to a hundred billion at pretty good business at the peak, but stocks pretty, off significantly pretty, from there. I don't know the share. No, it's fucking awesome, but like eighty-two billion. Mark just chimed in with right. Um, if you look at Roblox, another $80 billion company, uh, can Roblox be a trillion dollar company? Maybe. How is that going to happen? They're going to have to age up out of just super serving one demo. So you can be an awesome and successful company, but do you want to fulfill, you know, the largest right. possible market cap there's always a rub between super serving and being broad i mean what do we know anything on on rounds that ro- that um discord has done like what's the latest val on on the well do we, I just, we we know 10 we know that there was 10 billion 10, 10 plus billion dollar offer from microsoft right. which they okay. turned out so let's assume it's worth 3x that now and they're 30 like becoming a 100 billion or 150 oh, billion dollar company i think that's early i, I don't I think, think it's think worth 30 yeah, yeah, I think that's i'm just i'm just doing like back of the envelope shit like like pretty much the entire market these days but like so let's say it's 15 like becoming a 150 million dollar company is still a pretty good fucking life billion. right so sure billion right so like who cares about becoming a trillion dollar company like there's not many zuckerbergs in the world i have a question well well yeah, yes. yeah they're not going to be a trillion for our portfolio adventures if a yes. company was like I only want to be a five hundred million dollar company. No, I want wouldn't, all of them to be ten billion. What are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. Okay. There you go. Okay. okay. <laughs> okay. Talk, hold on. No, 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 Rich. Let me. Rich, one last point on this, though. That okay. Sometimes I wish we had Discord in our. <laughs> some, sometimes in our when you, Sometimes when you go for the big one and broaden out. No, totally. Then, you have to you do it your thoughtfully. Focus. You have to right. do it thoughtfully. Right. I totally and just agree to be clear. With that. Discord raised at 15 billion in September. Thank you, Mark. Okay. So I nailed real, it on my second guess. I went from 30 you to did, 15. But nailed just, it. But, but just in terms of talking about communities, a the Reddit community has been very excited about the idea of trying to screw over short sellers in AMC stock. And Twitter community. Most of this played sure. out on Twitter. By basically some form of NFT dividend that would basically make it impossible to short AMC stock. But what was interesting this week is the AMC CEO finally had to respond. Our good friend, Adam Aaron, Tweets, NFTs are a superb idea, but not a one per share security token NFT dividend is repeatedly described on Twitter. As Brandon said, it's all this has been playing out on Twitter. It is likely illegal, breaches our debt covenants and or exposes AMC to huge litigation risk. We can't do it. Beware of concepts that sound easy and too good to be true. And a day later, we find out Adam Aaron is dumping basically the remainder. I think he's dumped now 91% of his vested stock in the last 30 days. So he sold $35 million of stock in the last 29 days, I think, to be specific. He's got a little bit left. Lots more to come, but it just shows investors, the minute he gets a share of stock, Adam Maron's going to be dumping because he knows the stock is massively inflated at this level. The stock, just to check it right now, is down 10%. It's gone from its highs of 60. It's now at 2660. So this is going to be fun to watch as we move into 2022. And we're also looking at probably one of the worst box office weekends um, over the next week. We'll, we'll get a little bump from Spider-Man. Do you, know how, a week. do you know how I knew that, Rich? How? I read your tweets. You do? You uh, love that. <laughs> what, well, Thank I you. mean, I'm trying to, what was it? It's down 36%. 36% as of today. See, I I listen. I pay attention to what you're putting out there, right? And people are this. That's versus 2019, and people are definitely yeah. excited about Spider-Man. The problem is, in the last 10 days of 2019, Star Wars, the last Star Wars in 2019, I think it did just under 400 million dollars in those 10 days. So, like, there's a pretty big comp, even, even if Spider-Man is big. I know, but it's a it was a big number two years ago. So yeah, yeah Spider-Man's going to help the number, but I don't think it's going to help the decline that meaningfully just given the, the comp set. Okay. 
uh, let's move on the two. Uh, we're talking about space, which we don't normally do on here. But why don't we talk about space, Brandon? I know. I Why? Because I just wanted an excuse to talk about two of my favorite topics merging together, MSG and space. Um, Can you just, I don't from, read this because no one's going to understand what this is. I know you, you guys didn't want to include this one. It's okay. Um, this is from Sports Techie. MSG Entertainment has received a research award to further develop a new camera tech system on the space station. The space cameras will aim to capture Earth for integration into the Garden Sphere in Las Vegas, which expects to be open in 2023. So what I actually think about is really interesting about this is um, when we talk about Vegas and the sphere and what it is, everyone thinks about it as just being sort of this like concert venue that is in a spherical shape. But the one of the major opportunities monetization wise is to utilize though that venue built out of led screens for new types of content creation and this is one of the no one really knows what they're working on um but um this is you need security clearance for that this is one interesting clue right they have developed special cameras to create content for for the sphere itself and apparently they're going to space and the government so can jim dolan spy on us now uh-huh I mean, jim dolan's putting his cameras into think, space you think he is no they're going into the space station but i i really think it, it is interesting that they are coming up with new types of content for large format venues and and we don't know what that like, content is. We don't. Even, we have no idea we, what that. We means. know they hired someone from Disney, mm-hmm. right? We know that the venue itself is flexible, so you can change the seating arrangements to have right. concerts at night and different types of content during the day. And we know that daytime content in Vegas is still underserved. People pay. I mean, I went to Meow Wolf last time I was in Vegas. I paid like <laughs> fifty bucks to run around Meow Wolf you know, to have an experience for an hour. Um, There's a, this is, you know, right by the Venetian, like right off the strip. There's, you know, a huge opportunity, I think, um, to monetize that venue in the daytime. And I'm interested in what they kind of come up with. That's all. We've got Andrew Marchand, um, sports business, tweeting, news, Amazon is looking to challenge sports media behemoths with daily studio shows. The Post has learned. And so, I'm sorry, I, 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 he's not SBJ. He's at the New York Post. I'm sorry. Uh, you, you got confused because he does a, a joint podcast, podcast with, with John, John Oran, Oran from, from yes, us. Yes. Yes. And it's my favorite sports podcast right now. So, it yes. It is very uh, good. That is my makeup. Thank you, Brandon. Um, but what but I Mark think is. Mark used to cover our baseball teams. I believe he covered the Yankees yeah. for a while. But what's, this just shows, and we keep saying it. Amazon's ambitions in sports are serious yeah, and content in general. So they went out and got Thursday night football. There's lots of speculation about sports them buying the- in particular, though. I want to, yes. I want to highlight, I, I think they, in terms of, you know, general entertainment content, I think they've kind of like flattened out the spend a little bit, but they are going headlong into sports and believe it's a big opportunity and one that the other tech platforms aren't focused on, which builds the up, op- it makes the opportunity for them. And it's not just in the U S I mean, they're trying to win IPL yes. away from Disney plus and hot star in India. So I don't know who ultimately wins. We'll know that soon. It's probably going to be the biggest sports rights um, increase that we've seen in most sports in a long time. This is going to be the he- most heated battle. So we'll see how big, but they p- spent a billion dollars a year in the U.S. for Thursday Night Football. You know, done a bunch in Europe. Yeah, we'll see. I think there's more to. I, I just feel like Amazon has a very big strategy here, and people are just not paying enough attention to Amazon. That's something I would agree with. So my question is. You know, in terms of that strategy, first of all, we haven't heard anything still about Sunday ticket. I don't know what what was taking so long because there was like speculation about that in the media on again, off again. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there isn't this just an, an indicator that they're obviously going to be an aggressive like sports is top of agenda for them. They should be an aggressive bidder to, to Sunday ticket. And my second question to you, 
Senor Greenfield is when are we going to hear about the with about Sunday ticket to tie all those up for me? My guess is you've got three things sitting out there. You've got the NFL media deal. So that's Which the NFL Amazon network. Is what is supposedly has one. Hold on, supposedly. What, is, what is the NFL media deal? Can you describe it includes that NFL the- network. So it's the uh-huh. ownership. Sorry, it, they're selling a piece. They're selling, let's just say 49% or 51%. 49, yep. Who knows? No, I thought probably 49, NFL probably 49% yep. of NFL network, the red zone channel and NFL digital media. So website, all the properties and potentially the mobile business that used to be Verizon's well, maybe included on. in that. You mean they're selling a stake in it? So the NFL Correct. network will still exist. So why would Amazon want to own a stake in a separate channel? They, they wouldn't because it could make because it could make NFL network exclusive to Amazon. It could make well, Red Zone exclusive minority, to Amazon as a minority partner. They'd be forty nine percent. So well, if that's what they're, I mean, who knows what their commercial agreement with the NFL will say? But if they believe that that is the better thing to do with that asset is to make parts of it exclusive or to not license to certain people, Red Zone, they could start doing that. Like they can mm-hmm. start flexing what they want to do to build So then why the would the NFL give up that control to decide how to, how to, you know, what content to put there versus not Red Zone, that is, or where to put um, it? I think because look how well, Red they'll Zone is still have ownership. Right. Remember. Right. Yeah. But you can't, yeah, you can't, it's got to be one way or the other. They're either selling enough to provide control to the new owner, part owner, or they're not. And and to Brandon's yeah. point, they're not. They're they're still going to maintain control. So great, I own forty nine. Well, we don't know. Again, we don't know what the commercial agreement will be in the deal. Okay. I think the bigger challenge for the NFL is right now. It's they're a primarily event for no. the NFL owners. By the it, way, it is. But I think the bigger issue is NFL Network and Red Zone are primarily tied to linear multi channel video distribution. Shouldn't you say Future. Red Zone and NFL Network? Because this is like this is like ESPN or this is like Disney doing a deal where it's like ESPN and then all the other garbage stations. So it's like the Red yeah, Zone is the value. Right. So and Red networks. Zone's part of cable packages. Networks, and should right. Red Zone be just a streaming, you know, just I think starting to realize the NFL is realizing it needs to focus on digital distribution. And Amazon is a major digital distribution platform and can do so much beyond. Brandon calls it the Amazon of sports is sort of what Fanatics is trying to build, right? You know, like Amazon's got all these different pieces of the sports business of, you know, that it can bring to bear merchandise, et cetera. So I don't honestly know. But my point is that the NFL still does something where they want the product to continue to be embraced by multiple demographics and Correct. you know more and more. So my point is that like, isn't Amazon doing stuff like this tweet just part of the overall look? We're dedicated. We're not just buying this and it's going to be a one-off thing. We're really going to invest broadly in sports. That's going to ultimately help NFL being through us as a distribution as a primary. I would think if I was channel. looking at this, if I was looking at that tweet as the NFL or Major League Baseball or hockey and saying. They're putting more bumper programming around yeah. sports. That means that shows they're serious and they're going to give us yes. more ways to connect right. with the casual. Right. So Exactly. So Amazon right. also, so the NFL should want Amazon to go invest in co- live college games as well. So because sure. during the college games, they're going to promote the, the NFL games. Right. So, I mean, Amazon, do they, I assume they get this and they're just all in on sports now. Right. I mean, we met with Fox recently yes. and they said, we're probably going to get a half owner of, of the USFL soon. Like it's not going to be all owned by Fox. Who knows whether spring football will be owned in part by Amazon or some other. I mean, who knows? It could be a broadcast or a digital. Who knows? Another thing I'd point out is I think there's actually among other those who are competing for sports rights more generally, a little naivete around Amazon's overall ambitions. That's something that I kind of took away in meetings that we've had this weekend last week. Rich. Can you expand on that meaning that they, they don't understand that Amazon is as serious as they like are? How is that serious your point? they are. Yeah. Yeah. For some of the upcoming um, uh, properties that are for sale globally. Okay. Well, and we'll so see. what is, what's, I Apple guess they're do? kind of for rent, not for sale. So what, so, <laughs> right. so what is, I mean, so what does Apple do in, the, in this situation? You just sit on their hands and just it seemed, say, it seems again, like Apple. And I know because they made some hires, there's been speculation that they're much more interested in sports rights. That's not a feeling um, that we've gotten or something that we've heard a lot about. Um, I do still think that Sunday ticket makes sense from that for them because of the app store, because Apple ultimately in video besides Apple TV plus is 
they serve as a video app store. And right. that fits neatly into that strategy while giving them some sports exposure to see how that resonates. And, and if but, you're but let's NFL, just be clear. Hold on. No, no. It, well, let me, <laughs> if you, if, if you're the NFL, this is no different than putting stuff on CBS yep. and Fox and whatever, which is like, fine, I'll give Amazon this and I'll give Apple that. But like Amazon, if they're making all of these investments, I presumably the, the kind of the ultimate gem is going to be Sunday ticket. No. I disagree. If you're the okay. NFL, you want more bidders. Yeah, they can get Apple. I know the NFL wants price. more bidders. The I'm NFL, saying Amazon's NFL, dream. Oh, Amazon's NFL, dream is Sunday yeah. ticket for sure. Yeah. I'm just saying if I'm sitting at the NFL, I will take it's less money. By the, which they have done in the past. Yes. The NFL is very thoughtful about kind of spreading the wealth. Um, uh, on, sure. Uh, on and Apple content. shouldn't want Amazon to be able to run the table. So th they should be a willing participant to say like, okay, let's not unless, make sure. Unless honestly, they don't care. And sports just isn't a priority for them. So to say sports is not a priority when you're in the media space, where you're trying to keep churn low seems kind of not yeah you disagree Mark? with their strategy is what you're saying yeah okay yeah okay let's shift gears to peacock our favorite <laughs> topic i won't do my dance Thank God. our song but peacock will get this is from streamable the peacock will get exclusive streaming rights to universal films 45 days after theatrical release this is really not shocking because it's basically yeah, all the say, studios didn't we are doing like know this already <laughs> all of the studios are shifting to shorter and shorter windows. And so we've gone pre-pandemic from a 75 to 90 day window to now we've settled on anywhere between zero and 45. But for big movies, it seems like the studios are basically saying, hey, 90 plus percent of box office generally occurs in the first 45 days. So we'll set the window at 45 days. The stupidity of that is what if the movie doesn't work? Like I just saw earlier today, Eternals is hitting Disney Plus on January 12th. Like that's a movie that would have had far more impact day and date on Disney plus it didn't do well at the box office. You spent a lot of money to market it. Why are you waiting 45 days for that I to mean, come out they, on Disney for, plus on Eternals? They should 100% move that up to December 23rd and allow all these families on Christmas day and morning to like watch this show. I know it's crazy. It's January literally 12th, crazy. Like yeah, January 12th, just drop it in the middle of January and we'll just hope, you know, it's just, but it look, these studios just do it time and time again is they're stuck in this. They still want the sequential release pattern. They want you to go to theaters. They want to generate that revenue. They believe it creates these cultural moments. Uh, if you put it into a theater, that's what they're hoping for. And it's like, it's just, they're, Rich, they're missing you, the narrative. As you know, I am a great lover of musicals, both live at the theater on Broadway, as well as um, on television, you know, or movies. I will not be attending a theater to watch West Side Story, but I am excited. I can wait my 45 days to see it. I would like to see West Side Story on Christmas. So if you can, can you talk to someone about accelerating that to, over the Christmas holiday? Unfortunately, it, this is actually a weird one because it comes from Fox originally who greenlit this. So this will actually go to HBO Max because of a Ooh. prior output deal, but because Disney cut a recent deal with Warner Media, it will actually now air 45 days later on both HBO Max and Disney Plus. You'll see it in both places, which is very strange. But you will have to wait 45 days because that's all a commodity in my mind at this point. But can where where when it's the when, Rich? 45 uh, days, end of January, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I, I can hold off. So when it will be one of the jet, larger. You're a jet all your life. You're a Great it's going to be a very big money loser based on tracking. So an older skewing film in theaters oh, only well, is going to be tough. Sorry. Sorry. Skewing. Sorry, Steven Spielberg. Uh, let's go to our next slide. Brandon, why don't you read this one? Because this is pretty crazy. This is from Joe Pompliano. Breaking the Pat McAfee show has agreed to a massive all caps four year exclusive extension with FanDuel. The deal is for roughly $30 million annually or a hundred and twenty million dollars in total per Shams Charania. Charania? Um, the business that Pat and the boys have built is incredible. I mean, it's like a mini bar stool, right? Yeah, it's passion. Go back to where we started this podcast. Passion. There's real passion around Pat McAfee. Like he matters to people. 
that's actually a property where he can sell things, he can sell sponsorship, he can sell merch, like he matters. And, you know, FanDuel, which is trying to build its own, lower its acquisition cost, is using content to drive users. And it's just, it's exactly what Barstool's trying to do with Penn. DraftKings, you've seen, is doing more. Disney's trying to attach themselves to a sports book or become a sports book. Fox is doing, I mean, they're all trying to recognize that competing for sports book customers is super hard. You got to build into content. Why did it take this long? I mean, it was pretty obvious. I and mean, we talked about this many, many times in terms of, you know, whatever, Penn and, and Barstool. Like, why did it take them so long? It's just not what these companies are used to, right? This is just not their, you know, historically. I mean, I mean, they're sort of start, like, why? these are not like major companies, like major stale telecom companies that yeah, it took Disney 11 years to copy Netflix. Again, Disney is a stale telecom company. Okay, this fine, is, fine. This is FanDuel. You're like saying how- this is a, yeah, although it's been around a long time, but yes, you know, I do think it is harder for these companies to pivot. Okay. So who's, who's it's, left? It's a good question. Who's, what, what's, what's left after Pat McAfee? I don't know. It's a good question of like, who's sort of the next type of Pat McAfee? That could be interesting. I mean, I, obviously, the athletic is still out there. Uh, it doesn't have, I think, the same sort of cult following, but it's a big sports media property that's you know been what about overtime? For fail. Overtime is clearly. I mean, it obviously, skews younger. If you want younger demos, and they've got their own league that they're building with Overtime Elite, could totally yep. be absolutely off to a good start. Yeah, off to a really good start. I mean, it's it's a, and it's a brand that matters to youth in a big way and has done tremendous on TikTok and on and on Snapchat. We're going to shift to Web3 because I know this is Brandon's favorite topic. <laughs> it's not I, I, my favorite. I don't even know what Audius is, Brandon. So why don't you tell oh. everyone what Audius is? So essentially, the way to think about Audius, well, f- first I should, should I read the tweet? No, sure. maybe not. Maybe I'll just give some background. It's a Web3 platform for musicians where they can upload their music to the Audius platform very similar to, um, oh my goodness, I'm like completely blanking right now. Spotify? <laughs> I don't Goodbye. know, Brandon. <laughs> SoundCloud? Yes, yeah, SoundCloud. Oh my God, we're going to have to edit. No, we're definitely, out. there's no chance I'm <laughs> editing that out. Zero chance. I just blanked Normally on, I would. I, so literally just just, I literally just blanked out on SoundCloud. So, I thought you were going to just fall asleep there for a second. Just no, like go, no. <laughs> dude, dude we're, we're leaving that. That was priceless. That, that, those that are one of those blooper moments that we need. Oh everyone, my, everyone has oh my brain drops from time to time. Some more than others. Okay. So right now, the way it works is if you want to launch new music, generally you need a label to finance you, number one, and number two, help distribute you. This is a platform similar to SoundCloud where you can create your music, upload your music, and finance your music um, using tokens where people take ownership um, in the music that you create. Then when it is utilized um, or distributed, you are instantaneously paid um, by the coins being Push to you on the blockchain. So it's basically um, solves for a number of um, the benefits of Web3. One is sort of the ability to go around the middleman and to finance your projects using your passionate audience. Number two is so that's you know, which is basically one of the main roles of the label. And number two, it gives you the ability to have flexibility in the products that you create. So you, so NFTs um, are a way and collectibles are a way that you can um, add ownership for your passionate audience. And number three, when you do get paid, everything is tracked and instantaneous. Earlier in the year, they did a deal with TikTok such that there's- Has there been amazing music that's come out of this yet that like has really blown up or we're just early? early. Not really. I think there's only like 6 million um, users on the platform also. So it is early, early. but it is disruptive. Anyway, um, I think the- 
whatchamacallit itself, the um the tweet itself, what if you could pull it back up and why it's sure. here. I can the do catalyst, that for you. Oh my goodness. Was announcing Audius Radio Tower. Audius is now fully integrated into DeFi land. Starting Monday, users will be able to listen to their favorite Audius tracks while farming directly in DeFi land. So what is DeFi land um, is basically a learning um, platform for decentralized um, finance, um, which is done through farming mechanics um, and land ownership. And so now it's just you're it's basically spreading this into it. Right. And like every we talked about the metaverse in general, music is going to be a big part of all experiences um, that are happening in virtual space. I, so I assume that's why Warner Music continues very, to be a good stock. Uh, yes, and one Universal of, one exploded. And Universal, and right? what, yeah, I mean, people what, are excited one, about music again. One one of the reasons, yes. Yeah. New places to monetize content. Um, let's stick on Web3, Brandon. Okay. What do we have here? Oh, we got yeah. NFTs. This is, this is actually much more interesting. Um, I'm glad we didn't cut that other one then. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. You could cut it after if you want. No. <laughs> Um, this one is from Ubisoft, introducing Ubisoft Quartz. We're bringing the first energy-efficient NFTs playable in a AAA game to Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Try it in beta from December 9th with three free cosmetic drops and learn more here. Okay. Just so, simplify all this. What, what's going on? Okay. So... Like, don't... These are too many words. What's, the, what's going on? Okay. In terms of, of all. shut up, <laughs> um, digital assets, the big breakthrough with the blockchain is that you can actually own those digital assets. And there have been a number of Web3 specific games that have been created where you, where you have ownership, mm-hmm. um, both on platform and the ability to sell and trade ownership um, off platform also. That hasn't really w- made its way into AAA games. Ubisoft is the first one to really unveil this, which was in this Tom Clancy game um, to start with, where you can earn digital um, di- uh, digital goods or you could buy them and then they have value. You can sell them and bring them off platform. And people got really excited about this. Um, no, I think people who are Web3 native got very excited about so the it. nerds. The nerds yeah, got excited. The insular Web3 community was excited because this was and one of the big things with the blockchain is that it's still a very small group of people um, who are dialed into what's going on there. There hasn't been a lot of broad use besides straight collectibles. There have been blockchain games, but they are mostly made for and consumed by those who are, quote, blockchain native. So this was a way to help bring to to the broader um, populace. The problem is the gaming community revolted against this. So they put up a YouTube video explaining what they were doing, how it Mm -hmm. was going to work, how this was the first game that was going to utilize this quartz platform, how it was energy Mm -hmm. efficient, which is a big pushback on, um, whatchamacallit, on on the blockchain in general. But now that we're sort of have level two, uh, you know, layer two, um, that, that problem is starting to go away and the audience completely rejected it. So this shows sort of the underlying and they problems. They wound up of, having to, to right. They wound up. Yeah, this is Web two versus Web three. The battle the, for the like video down. Well, I think it's also hard with gamers because gamers are very protective over, especially the games and franchises they love. They're always skeptical of the publishers and that they're trying to do something to rip them off, make money off of them, and so they're not necessarily very accepting, um, which we've seen. Yeah, a lot. Um, and the other thing is, like, uh, most people play games for fun and community. And 
they, I, I think there's some resistance to the idea that they're going to be playing games for the, for the purpose of making money, even if this isn't like, you know, a straight there's play. There's some whales that are, tr- that are very excited about this, but the average person is not thinking like that. No, the average they're, gamer. They're not. And this is part of the problem with Web3. There needs to be a big education process. And I think that what's going to break through um, in terms of, of gaming utilizing the blockchain are different new mechanics um, in gaming that come out of um, utilizing the blockchain. So is this where you get educated though? (laughs) So maybe just explain what's up on the screen for our listeners, because this is important. Elon is, you know, continues to be. uh, So so just, I want you to actually describe this slide because this is the education process. I think you're describing I well, this is about Web three evangel <laughs> evangelist. Um, so it's Elon at the urinal, um, and the first one says me, and then the second one says Web three people. This is like kind of that meme. Um, so the Web three people are walking up to Elon um, at the urinal. The guy stands next to him and says, "Hey man, you really should get into crypto. Web three is the future. You should join our DAO." <laughs> I think the point of this is there used to be a little video game, a little casual game where it's like, pick the right urinal. And, you know, you say like, what's the right, if you walk into a urinal, there's two people to go to the middle, left or right. This is the point is that like, there was, there, the picture showed 20 urinals and the dude's there and he comes right up next to him and starts talking about web three. That's the joke. It's amazing. It's amazing. Which is amazing. what these web three people are. They're very aggressive is the point. Like they want everyone to buy into it immediately. Well, it's, it it's, 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 it's not even, it's not even aggressive. It's awk. That's what it is. It's awk. <laughs> they, they want everyone to buy in, but they also want them to buy in on their own terms. Right. Um, so I don't know if you saw this thing on Twitter, this like conversation, which is fucking hilarious. Um, between, I think it was Budweiser and Pepsi. Let me see. I actually have my computer. Let me see if I could scroll through and, and find this. Sorry. We're not was, doing this now. Okay. It was, it was pretty hilarious, really, though, but they were all trying to use. He's were, losing it today. Well, he's literally losing. We're going to sit here on the podcast and no. wait for you to no, scroll no. and but find there was something. A, there was a conversation oh, between Budweiser <laughs> and Pepsi and Meta actually utilizing sort of the Web3 lingo, you know, like WGMI, yep. yeah, uh, yeah. we're going to make it blah, 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 blah. And it was actually very cringeworthy. And the Web3 community was like up in arms that these brands were trying to, you right, know, just like utilize someone coming up to next their, to you in a year. Like, hey, cringy. friend, F-R-E-N, you know. Right. Um, so, so what's the takeaway? Web3 people are cringe. No, that's not the takeaway. It's just it's a very it's a very insular and not accepting community sometimes that is built on the principles of acceptance and friendliness, <laughs> a.k.a. cringe. And it's a hard and Web3 is hard for bit larger, you know, brands with large consumer followings to break into there's there's no real good way it seems to do it they tried to do it in the native language on twitter it came across as cringy they ubisoft tried to do it in their games like to integrate nfts essentially into their games and everyone revolted it's going to be a slow education process that's probably going to take out um place over time and you're going to need to have applications that are brand new that cause mass adoption of the technology after which it'll, you know, get brought. Um, I'm just glad our listeners can listen to this things. at one and a half speed. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just search through my emails. Cause I think someone no. sent me an email. About Stop. This. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to, we're going to go to our last slide and we're going to be a little sentimental in our last slide. Cause we've got some pretty big news happening. We've got sort of the end of the Iger legacy. And Bob Iger actually at Disney, I think a number one fan of Rich Greenfield for many years, 
Didn't uh, you actually, see him on the street last weekend? I did. I saw him jogging or kind of rushing up Madison Avenue with his wife, Willow Bay. And he actually said hello and shook my hand, uh, which I thought was appropriate given it's sort of the end of the Agra era. And we see him on screen here. He actually went on ABC7 in L.A. to actually do the weather report because, as we all know, Bob started his career as a weatherman and really worked his way all the way up over 40 plus years. And the the interesting thing now is going to be, you know, how does Disney change and how does the structure of Disney? And, you know, when Iger came in, he, he as CEO, he made a lot of big changes, buying Pixar, buying Marvel, buying Lucas. It's going to be very interesting to see how does Chapik, now that he is completely free of Iger, how does Disney change? And I think that's going to be a big, big story for 2022. And you're going to see a lot of employee turnover at the beginning. We are. Of, of 22, as Chapik puts his own generals in place everywhere. So the Chapik era is about to officially, truly begin. I think that's a wrap on episode 84, guys. Um, I guess you can't go watch West Side Story at home, Walt. I'm sorry. And you can't okay. watch Eternals, but hopefully right. you'll find something good to watch this weekend. Hawkeye. Hawkeye is a great series. Sure. Recommend watching Hawkeye if you're a Marvel fan. It's very good. Very good. Four or five ep- four episodes in, I guess. Have a great weekend, everyone.